says, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. So we are servants of Christ. But not only that, he goes one step farther. He says that we are also stewards or managers of the mysteries of God. He says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, he says, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. And it reminds us of something. He says, it's the Lord who judges us. It's the Lord who judges us. He reminds us that there will be a day, as we'll study here in a moment, that there will be a time where we will be accountable to the Lord for the things that he has blessed us with. Now, let me just remind you of something that the Bible, and we're talking today about stewarding our finances, stewarding our money. And anytime you talk money, obviously within the church, people get upset, people get bothered, but just get over it. Amen? Uh, because it's all through the Bible. There are over 2,300 scripture references in the, in the Bible that deal with money, with finances. Okay? That's twice as many Bible verses that there are about faith and prayer combined. So if we were to say that prayer is important, you would say amen, that's true. If we were to say that faith is important, you'd say amen, that's true. But do you know that there's twice as much scripture and references about money in the Bible than both of those two subjects combined? So speaking about money is very important. And all God's people said? Amen. There you go. All right, good. Because it's in the Bible. About 15% of everything that Jesus spoke about was related to money. About one-third of all the parables that Jesus spoke on, we're going to look at one here in a few moments, dealt with money, or he's using finances and money as a way of teaching, as an illustration or as an example. And so Jesus taught more about money than any other subject other than the kingdom of God. So the two top subjects that Jesus spoke about while here was the kingdom of God, which is the most important, but then he also spoke about money. And we will see here in a moment one reason why is because truly Jesus said it in his own words. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, some people say it like this, follow the money, right? You know a lot about your priorities. You know a lot about um, what's important when it comes to our finances. It reveals a lot about us. And this is why Jesus spoke so much about it. A few things that we said last week, I just want to highlight a couple of things. According to the word of God, David said that giving was an act of worship. That it is a way that we worship, just like we came in this morning and we, we sing and we, we praise God and we call that worship. That is an, an act, a part of worship. You know, um, when we open our Bibles, that's really a time of worship. When we pray, that's worship. And we sometimes don't realize this, but even the act of giving or sacrificial giving or when we give, the Bible tells us that this is a form or an act of worship. Is a part of, of, of how we worship God. I had made this statement last week. I like this statement, so I thought I'd make it again. And that is this, is that 
Tithing in the scripture is the training wheels of scriptural giving. Tithing in the Bible is, you know, the giving of a tenth is the training wheels of, of scriptural giving. Meaning it's God's way of just getting us kind of introduced to what the Bible truly teaches about giving. You understand this, that God is more concerned about our heart. Amen. And he's not about about a tithe or sitting down and taking out our calculators and fig figuring out the exact to dollar and cents. In fact, we've, we studied last week in the New Testament. How many of you people liked the New Testament giving? If you remember in Acts chapter 2, how did they give? Anyone remember? What did they do? They sold it all and they gave everything. So if you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, I don't like Old Testament giving. I don't like tithing. I I'm a New Testament giver. I say more power to you. Amen. <laughs> they sold everything that they had and they gave it to the church. Now, understand this is not what God expects or what God wants. Because the Bible says that each man gives as, as God moves and works in their heart and in their life. But the idea of tithing was simply this, is that it was to train, it was the training wheels of true scriptural giving. We see that throughout the scripture, that, that giving is something that was a part of the church, a part of the body. It's what God's people did. In fact, Paul said this, we finished with this last week, and I want to remind us of something. Paul said to Timothy, he said, in 1 Timothy 6, he says this, he says, command them and charge those that are rich in this world that they're to be generous and that they're to share and that they're to give what God has blessed them with. And I want to remind you of, of just some numbers, all right? And then we'll jump right into a few passages. If you, in your combined household income, if you make $71,000 or more, $71,000 in your combined income, that's you and your spouse, whoever's living at home, even if you're teenagers who have jobs, you're going to see in a moment that most teenagers that work part-time here in this country are wealthier than the rest of the world. It's hard for us to comprehend. But if you make in your combined household income of $71,000 or more, whether you reach that or not, you are in the top 4% wealthiest people on planet Earth. If you have a single income, if you make $60,000, okay, if you make $60,000 or more, you are in the top 1% wealthiest people on planet Earth. It's hard for us to comprehend. The median worldwide income Per year, so the annual median worldwide income is $2,800. The average household makes at least 25 times that. In fact, let's go, as I just kind of mentioned, let's think about this. Let's take an average, maybe even high school kid who says, I'm going to work this summer. I'm going to work through the summer months and I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to work full time in the summer. Chances are that that high school kid is going to make more than what other people make an entire year. Wow. Paul says this. He says to us as pastors, he said to Timothy and he's saying to me as a pastor, he says, you 
who teach the church, you who challenge God's people. He says, challenge those who are rich in this world to be generous and to be kind and to share the bounty that God has blessed them with. So I am doing what Paul commanded us to do. I am saying this, is that you and I, may I say this, we are so blessed, amen? And we are, whether we realize it or not, we are wealthy. We are rich. And you're saying, well, I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. But in, in comparison to the rest of the world, we are. The fact that we, we wake up and we have clean drinking water, there's a lot of percentages in the world that doesn't even have just a clean cup of water. You don't believe me? <laughs> Go to some countries. By the way, number one rule when you go to another country, don't what? True story. I've been on mission trip after mission trip. And I love, we would take teenagers. And I remember some of them got, a lot of them. Most everybody I've ever traveled with eventually gets violently sick. I, I'm using the word violently, okay? And I'll never forget, there was a, the first day or two were there, a whole bunch of them started getting sick. And, and I said, you drank the water. No, 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 I didn't. I didn't. I promise I didn't. And this one girl was just, and she was leaning up against the building and she was throwing up. Oh, I could tell you a story. And I said to you, she goes, oh, I didn't drink any. She goes, but I was, you know, I did use my toothbrush and I was kind of swallowing some of the water. Clean drinking water is just something that we take for granted. Three meals a day, snacks, food in the refrigerator. Come on now, amen? God has blessed us with so much. We have so much to be grateful for. And he says, I blessed you and I've provided for you and I challenge you to be generous, to be giving. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6 because we did say this, but I want to really highlight this. That when we think of this subject of finances and money and giving, the Lord Jesus reminds us of this is that it's a heart issue. It's a matter of the heart. And he says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves are going to break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Many of you are familiar with this passage. He says, where neither moth nor rust will destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. But notice what Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Just a few verses farther in Matthew 6 there, just a few verses farther, verse 24, he says this, Jesus says that you cannot serve God and money. He says you can't serve two masters. You remember that? You see, what Jesus is saying is, is he's reminding us that when, and this is why I think people get so upset and they get so bothered whenever the church or the pastor or someone starts talking about money is because I believe it strikes a chord. I believe sometimes it's convicting, amen? And we get uncomfortable because he says that, that money and how we deal with money and our finances, that, it, that it's a heart condition. It's a heart matter. And so Jesus says here, he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So understand that, that giving is a matter of, of the heart. You see, if, if, 
He says you can't serve two masters. Who is our master? Who is our Lord? And, and, and let me say it in these terms. Who is the Lord of our life? Who should be the Lord of our life? Who created us? Who's given us everything that we have? Reminder, what's the foundational principle of stewardship? The foundational principle and truth of stewardship is this. It's not mine, it's his. It's not mine anyway. It's not mine. But we have this attitude that it's mine. And so what happens is the Lord says this. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Which master are you going to serve? He says, and then he says it very blatantly. He says, you cannot serve God and money. Which one will you serve? Who will you serve? Look with me in Luke chapter 2. What a beautiful picture, a story. As Jesus takes his disciples into the temple of giving. In Luke 21, I'm sorry, Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is with his disciples, and I believe Jesus intentionally goes into the temple. And Jesus knows he was God, and Jesus is like, oh, I, oh wait, I, gotta, I wanna teach them a little bit about giving, and I wanna teach them about true giving. And so Jesus takes his disciples. In fact, it's, you don't see Jesus at the temple very often. And Jesus takes his disciples, and I believe it was done intentionally. Jesus wanted to teach them an important truth, an important principle of giving. And so he goes there and he stands there. Maybe he, I, I, I don't know what it looked like, but maybe he's like, wait for it, wait for it. Just watch. And he's with his disciples and notice what happens. It says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, into the treasury there in the temple. And he's with his disciples, we'll see here in a moment, but he says this, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow, now he's speaking to his disciples, he says, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. And I believe in the language, if you were to study this language, what he's saying is this, he's put in more than all of them combined. That she has put in more than all of them combined. And I'm sure many of them are coming in with bags of money and as they're throwing in their offerings. And she comes in in humility and ashamed, has a couple copper coins. It's equivalent to a day's wages. And others are coming in and bringing hundreds, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars. But he says this, for they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, look at this, she put in all she had to live on. She gave it all. Jesus was saying that she gave far more than all the others combined. By the way, I think this is a beautiful thing, and this is what I want you to, to not miss from this passage. And that is this, is that Jesus saw. Amen? Or let me say it like this, that God sees everything. God sees everything and Jesus saw and Jesus knew. And when Jesus saw and in fact I believe intentionally brought them there and he was there for that in, that purpose and what he was and it was more than just about money. It was more than just about giving. What he's saying is this woman gave her everything. She gave her all. She gave it all. God knows. God sees. He keeps a good account. 
he even knew that she gave her last couple coins. Do you understand that God knows what you give and what you don't give? <laughs> Come on now. But God knows. He sees. He takes account. He knows that maybe there's times you are struggling and, and you're hurting and you're wondering what, how, how are you going to provide for your own family and how are you going to provide for your own needs. And he knows this and yet maybe you see a need and God moves in your spirit and you do it and you think no one else knows. Can I say this? God knows and God sees. Amen. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that that woman starved to death? Yes or no? I would say probably not. You know why? Because God knows and God sees. And though this widow, Jesus says, I want her to be an example to you disciples, to you followers of Christ, that she gave everything. Look what Hebrews 13, 16 says. I like this. He says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Notice this. For such sacrifices... Do you see this? They're sacrifices. He said they're pleasing to God. God sees and God knows. Nothing goes without God seeing. Nothing happens when you give, when you, when you sacrifice. He says they're pleasing to God. They're pleasing to God. And even though no one else may know, God knows and God sees and God will bless. Look at Philippians 4. Verses 14 through 19, he says this. This is Paul writing to the, he's writing the church at Philippi. And listen to what he says. I want, I want you to kind of broaden your perspective about giving just for a moment. Listen how Paul, what he speaks about giving. He says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And he says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... He says, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He said, numerous times you sent financial aid. You were invested and you, you sent contributions to me. He says, I love this. Not that I seek the gift, but notice what he says. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit or to your account. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts, plural, the money that they sent him. He says, notice what he calls it. He says, it's a fragrant offering. A what? Say it with me. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Once again, Paul says, God sees, God knows. And he says, he knows that you gave sacrificially. And he says, it's a, it's a sweet smelling a fragrance to God. It is an act of worship. But let, let this open your minds a little bit. He says, no one else helped me. No one was, was sponsoring me or supporting me in this gospel ministry when I left Macedonia. He says, you were the only church. And he says, numerous times you sent money so that I would have my needs met so that I could do the work of the gospel. Do you understand that one thing we don't sometimes grasp is this, is that when we give, whether it's as God leads to give to a person or when we give towards a mission, or let I me mean, just encourage you, when you give, understand this, 
You are giving to God through, through a source or through possibly an individual. For example, you say, well, we're gonna give, we want to give to the Lord. So do we just throw it up there and then whatever God wants, he catches. Now, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? How does that work? How do you give to God? I'm asking this question. How did the church at Philippi give to the work of God? How did they give to God? By doing what? By giving to Paul. Right? Pardon me? And to the poor, to the needy. They gave to Paul and they invested in the work that Paul was doing. Does this make sense? It's an investment in the kingdom work. And so what... I see here through scriptures, and we don't have time, but there's lots of different places where Paul says people gave to him so that his needs would be met so he could preach the gospel and fulfill the call of God in his life. So how do we give to God? For example, you, they, they gave to God through Paul. Does this make sense? There were other disciples, there were others, and there were other people that... If you understand, by the way, what was Judas? Judas, what was he? I know you're going to say he was a traitor, right? But what was he? What was, his, what was his role? What was his responsibility as he was one of the 12 disciples? What was it? Treasure. That means what? People were doing what? Giving money. They were investing in the work that Jesus was doing. As they saw that Jesus was blessing and helping, people gave. He was a treasure. So you see, even Jesus had a treasure. Come on now. You're like, boy, he should have done a better job of picking that one. And yet God in all of his knowledge and he knew he chose Judas. And Judas, of course, was skimming and taking. Maybe even a lot of the teaching that Jesus was teaching was because God was trying to penetrate the heart of Judas. Judas oftentimes came across as being sincere. And the Bible says that it clearly tells us that it's because he held the money bag, right? And he had selfish ambitions and selfish motives. But you understand that even Jesus, while here on earth, was receiving funds and people gave so that he could do his ministry and do his work. Paul received funds so that he could do his work. The point I'm trying to make is this, is Paul says to them, he says, as you give and you, you are investing, he says, you're investing in the kingdom work. And he says, and you are investing, and he says, I don't, I don't say this because I want to give from you. He says, I say this, he says, because I want fruit that will be added to your credit or on your account. Do you understand that when you and I, when we give to the, the kingdom work, whether it's sponsoring a missionary, supporting a missionary, I know a number of you, many of you, you, you sponsor a child in another country and you pray for that child. You know what you're doing? That is, that is fruit that's being added to your account. Amen? That as a church, that when we give, we, and, we, and myself included, when we give, if you will, to God through the church, through Red Hills, that while you are sleeping, your money is being used for the kingdom work. That we have missionaries 
in Africa and missionaries in other parts of the world that while you're sleeping, they're laboring for the Lord. I call it clipping coupons. So while you're sleeping, you're clipping coupons. Amen. It's fruit on your account. Does this make sense? That even, for example, this summer, while you're on vacation and you're enjoying life, but if you give faithfully and you give and you invest in God's kingdom through Red Hills, guess what's happening? There are boys and girls, at-risk youth, being loaded up in vans and buses and being brought to a place called Henry's Place. They're going to get out of the streets, some of them away from the gangs for the first time in their life, at-risk youth are going to be loaded up in vans and brought up to a place not far from here. If you have questions, talk with Pastor Dan. But they will be taken to a place called Henry's Place where they will hear, some of them maybe for the first time, that God loves them and that God has a purpose and a plan for their life. And so while you're enjoying vacation in Hawaii, but because you've given to the kingdom work through Red Hills, there will be counselors and teachers and people loving on boys and girls from, from all over southern Utah and, 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 and even the Vegas area, and they're going to be getting the gospel. While you're enjoying your life, so to speak, there'll be others who are serving the kingdom. Are you with me? While the people in Philippi were sitting there maybe enjoying their life Paul was doing the work of God, and he says, guess what? While you're enjoying your life back there in Philippi, he says, I'm over here doing the kingdom work. And every single soul that comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior, that is fruit that goes on your account. I don't know about you, but that's pretty awesome. Amen? You see, understand that giving is this. Giving is investing in the kingdom work. And Henry's Place is just one example. The missionaries that we have serving, whether it be in Belize or the missionaries serving in Africa, while we're sleeping, while we're sleeping, but if we're faithfully giving to the work of God through Red Hills, your money is being invested in the kingdom work. Amen? And Paul says that's fruit that goes on your account. Look with me in Matthew 25, Matthew 25, 14 through 29. Jesus gives this parable, and I want to kind of wrap it up with this parable. And as you're, we're getting to Matthew 25, Jesus gives a parable, the parable of the talents. It's really close to the end of Jesus' ministry. And reminds his disciples of the importance of stewardship, managing well. And notice what he says. He says this, speaking of the kingdom, he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Whose property? His property. Okay, make sure you look at, read this carefully as we go through this. Look at the words that stand out. To one he gave five talents. To another, he gave two, and to another, one. To each, according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went out at once and traded, or he invested with them. And he made five talents more. 
So also he who had two talents, he went out and he invested and he made two talents more. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and he hid who's, can you say it with me, his master's money. Whose is it? It's the master's, not his. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled the accounts with them. He's a good accountant, by the way. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you have delivered to me Two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done. He says, you were, you were good. You were faithful. You are a faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid. And I went and hid. Notice what he says. He knows whose it is. He says, whose talent? Your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But, this ma but his master answered him, you wicked, slothful. Some versions will say, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have, have uh, scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money. He said, at least invest it. With the bankers. And at my coming I should have received what was mine, my own, it's his, with what? With interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who, who has will be given more. And he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. When we're talking about stewardship here for a moment, let me just remind you of something. As we kind of finish this up, whether it's a talent, an ability. Here it was a monetary amount. It was called a talent. But he gave each of them one five bags, one two bags, another one one. Let me just break this down very briefly just for a moment. But let me remind you of something. You are not in competition with other followers, with other believers. Amen. Listen to what I'm about to say. Your only competition is your potential. Did you get that? Your only competition is your potential. For example, the Bible says one given according to his ability was given five. To another he was given two. Let me ask you something. When they were done and they invested it, one had ten, the other one came back. Two plus two came back with four. But didn't they both get the same encouragement from the Lord? He says, you were faithful with what I gave you and you used it and you invested it. Are you with me this morning? Your only competition is your potential. It is not the, the brother or sister of Christ next to you or the person. Listen, there may be five talent Christians, two talent Christians, and there may be even one talent Christians. You're not competing with other Christians. You're competing with your potential. Amen? 
And this is all that God expected, all that the master expected. What he was reminding his disciples is it's not a competition between you guys, who's better, who can do more. So understand in this area of stewardship, it's being faithful with what God has blessed you with. If you have talents and abilities, your only competitor is your potential. What is it that God has has gifted you with and, and, and given you? The same with money. You know, if you're a millionaire, the Bible says, Jesus later says, to whom much is given, much is required. God's going to have a, expect a lot more from someone with a million dollars than someone with a thousand dollars. Does that make sense? To whom much is given, much is required. I find this interesting. Is the one went out and he hid it and he buried it. And I believe that there are even people sitting here today that probably have gifts, talents, abilities, resources that no one else even knows about, but God knows. And you buried it. The Bible tells us and reveals to us, Jesus said the reason why the master says, well, he says, well, I was afraid. By the way, listen to me, being afraid is not an excuse. Amen. It was not an excuse. Jesus said this in his teaching. He says, you are slothful. You are lazy. You did nothing with it. What gifts, talents, abilities, resources have God blessed us with that we have buried, that are hidden, that we are doing nothing with them? And listen to what I'm about to say. I believe this to be true. But in this parable... Is he lost the talent that was given to him? You may not believe this statement I'm about to make, but I believe it to be true and I believe it to be scriptural. And that is this if you don't use it, you may lose it. Do you have time for one last verse before we're done? One last passage Luke chapter 12, verse 42 through 48. As we just looked at the parable of the talents, the one who was not faithful lost his talent. It was taken from him. In Luke chapter 12, verse 42 through 48, some very strong words, some very strong teachings of Jesus. He said this, and the Lord said, who then is faithful in a wise manager or a wise steward? Whom his master will set over his household to give their, their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed or happy is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, he says, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. The idea is to squander it and to waste it. He says, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. In an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. Strong words. But the one who did not know and did what deserved 
a beating will receive a light beating. But everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they have entrusted much, they will demand the more. There's another passage, we won't turn there, in Luke 16, 1 and 2. Jesus gives yet another parable about a man who says he was a manager. He misused what the master entrusted him. And the Bible says that the master came back and he says, I want to see your books. I want to, I want to see what you've been doing and how you've been doing it. And the manager understood he's in big trouble. And there's a whole story there. And how he goes out and he's trying to save his own skin. It's a really interesting parable. But here's the point. You say, Pastor Joe, these are some very, very strong words. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. I would say this, that stewardship and how we manage our lives, according to the word of God, is important to God. Would you agree with me? It's very important. The things that he's entrusted you with, we've covered a lot of them. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you where it may be, but your gifts, your talents, your spiritual gifts, your abilities, the resources, I call it resources because God blesses different people with different resources. The resources and the abilities and the things that God has entrusted to you and given to you. For some of you, maybe it's Athletics, and for some of you, maybe it's, it's sports, and for others, maybe it's finances, and for others, maybe it's the ability to teach or some type of gift. You know, fill in the blank. This is very broad. But this, the idea is that we finish this up, and we're about to pray here in a moment. But understand this, that when you look at the Scripture, stewardship and managing what God has given to us and blessed us with is very important to God. Would you agree with that? What we do with what God has entrusted us with is important. How we use it, whether we use it or whether we don't use it, is important. I'm going to give you a statement. I don't know if it was the Lord that gave this to me years ago. I don't know where I heard it, how I heard it. But in regards of stewardship, this changed my life. Obviously, the word of God changed your life. But this statement, I even tried to look it up to see if, if there was a quote or if someone said, I don't even know how I got it, where I got it. It may have even been in my own time. But I can remember when it was. I was a youth pastor in Salem, Oregon. And I remember I was working graveyards and volunteering at the church. And I was wore out and I was exhausted. And I was kind of, there was a point where I was like, is this even worth it? And why should I keep doing this? And, you know, and working with youth can be challenging. Amen. <laughs> Those of you that work with youth. I was coaching back then. I was coaching baseball, helping on a high school baseball team in Salem, Oregon. And then from there, I just coaching somewhere else, coaching somewhere else. When confronted with the opportunity to be a chaplain at SUU, this statement, this thought, this truth hit me. And so I want to share this statement with you. It may not mean anything to you, but it meant a lot to me. And I think this applies in so many areas of your life. So you ready? So that I can pray? 
But listen to what I'm about to say. Your response to your ability is your responsibility. Did you get that? Say it with me. Your response to your ability is your responsibility. That's in essence what the Lord Jesus is saying. How you respond to your abilities, your resources, the things that God has entrusted to you, what you do with them is your responsibility. Amen? And you will stand before God and give an account. Yes, sir? All right, I don't know what's happening. He knows nothing about this. This is completely spontaneous. Anyways, um, I usually sit back here in the corner. There's when I'm banished. But um, Michelle and I, my wife, uh, just got back 3 o'clock, 3.30 this morning, driving through a blizzard from Greenville, Michigan. And the reason this applies, because, I mean, there's no accident or coincidence in, in, in God's uh, kingdom. Um, Michelle and I went to, um, we've been longtime believers um, and supporters of Focus on the Family, the ministry that Dr. James Dobson started 40, 50 years ago. Um, we went to Greenville, Michigan to a uh, Hope Restored Marriage Retreat uh, for the past few days. Um, and the reason this is significant is because the story behind this, this place, um, uh, absolutely beautiful, ginormous cabin. Uh, it started, was started by a, uh, an attorney and his wife in Greenville who were well off and had a heart for pastors, their wives, ministry, people involved in ministry who needed uh, respite and breaks and, and, and ministry to themselves. And so, of their own resources, built this bought property, beautiful property. The flat, uh, flat River goes behind this property, absolutely beautiful here in Michigan. Our first time in Michigan, too, by the way. Uh, middle winter, though, so it was beautiful, but not as beautiful as it probably is in spring and summer. But anyways... Uh, built this probably um, 10, 12, 15,000 square foot cabin, uh, multiple rooms, all kinds, just every accommodation. So him and his wife could minister to pastors, their wives, whoever needed ministering to. Um, they did this for 15 years on their own. They got to a point where the whatever, you know, means they're, they're aging or whatever. Hey, we need to hang this up and we're going to put this uh, property on the market. Uh, focus on the family, along with the Michigan uh, 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 building they have. They have three others, two others actually, in Georgia and in Branson, Missouri. Uh, the Georgia one is actually being rented by Focus on the Family from the Chick-fil-A uh, family. So Focus wanted to get their own. They wanted to buy their own. So they kept looking and looking. Um, and this story was relayed to us by our, our couple hosts. There's a, a couple there who... Their whole sole responsibility is just to be there for all the, 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 the couples, the marriages that are being represented there. So he relayed the story to us that they were just coming dead into dead into dead and dead in, couldn't find a place that they could call their own, they could buy or build or whatever. Um, and at some point in time, at one of these facilities, Branson or, or, or in Rome, Georgia, um, a couple went and did the same thing Michelle and I went, had this retreat, um, and were just changed. And my understanding is um, one of the, the, the couple's parents is well, was well off. 
Um, and they were so impacted, that the parents were so impacted by what Focus on the Family and this, this ministry, this retreat did uh, for their adult children. They're like, man, we want to support this. And so, again, these people, well off, we're talking about this. Much is given, much is required. Don't know these people's names, background, how they, how they got their wealth, but they were so impacted by this that they saw that this uh, cabin, uh, this, this property, this retreat was on the market, and they called Focus and said, hey, if we buy this for you and donate, donate it to you, will you accept it? And, of course, they took a second and said yes. And that's what this couple did. They didn't go there themselves. Their children went there. And they wanted to be a part of that kingdom work. And so, obviously, God has blessed them, touched their heart, and they did. They bought whatever this property was. I'm sure it was several million dollars for all this and donated it, gave it to focus on the family. And because of that, and this was in 2018 when this occurred, since then they've had so many couples and marriages come through this facility. Absolutely beautiful, you know. Uh, and, um, but I, I, I tell you this because God's just talking to me, and it's like, here's a relevant example. Yeah, I don't have tens of millions of dollars that I can donate. But just as Pastor was saying, if you've got that, you know, $11 a month to give to compassion, world vision, whatever, that goes on your account, you know. There's people working on, on, on your behalf in God's kingdom because you're donating financially. Uh, obviously, there's lots of other uh, things that God wants us to use. But anyways, this is just a relevant, recent example of God using people, people using the resources that God has blessed them with for kingdom work. Thank you. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to have a word of prayer. And uh, the worship team is going to sing one last song. I think it's a new song. Maybe some of you have never heard it. I want you to think about the words.